And welcome in to this week's episode of Broadcaster Hour. This is Roger Hoover coming to you live from South Carolina. And then we got two guys in the state of Florida joining us today. Of course, Kyle Crooks all the way over to the right side of the screen. And then the center of the screen, we've got Josh Appel from Sports USA Media, Stadium, Watch ESPN. I'm sure I'm forgetting a lot of outlets for you, Josh. You're one of the busier guys at sportscasting. How's everything going for you? Uh, it's been going about as well as it can during these uh, quarantine times, but uh, trying to make the most of everything, hoping and trying to stay optimistic that uh, we have something to look forward to here in the fall. But, you know, we'll see how that goes. Uh, but other than that, I'm doing well. Thanks, you guys, for having me. Uh, very, uh, I-, I don't know if honored is the right word for it, but I'm going to say I'm honored because you guys have had a lot of great guests on. I actually told Kyle this when he asked me to come on. I was like, wow, it's a pretty big drop-off from Kevin Burkhart to me, but I appreciate you guys having me on. Cool. Certainly glad to have you on uh, because, again, you've been able to accomplish a lot just in the beginnings of your career. And as we kind of go through this conversation, first of all, what was the spark for you to get into broadcasting? So it was something that I had kind of figured out that I wanted to do when I was in like middle and high school. Um, I remember the the first time that, you know, I kind of caught my eye was, you know, our, our middle school morning announcements. Um, it, we did it, they did them out of our media center and I would just hang around and just kind of watch. And it was obviously a little camcorder and the teleprompter was on Microsoft word typing on a, one of those old Mac desktops, but it was that early interact, like that early, uh, exposure to things like that. That kind of got my brain thinking, all right, maybe this is something I want to do. And then I got to high school and I was trying to figure out how to get involved with some of the teams because I, I wasn't good enough to play, but I wanted to do something with the teams in my high school. I recognize that early on. And I was like, well, you know, I couldn't play it professionally, so now I'm going to go into it. The next best thing is this. And it is. But I knew from an early uh, an early point that, like, all right, let's focus on something else. So I got involved with our basketball team in my high school. And I the first night, I was just going to be a manager, and I was going to, you know, do the scorebook during games. And then the head coach, the first, uh, the first home game we had, the head coach walks up to me and he goes, Hey, Josh, we need someone to introduce uh, the starting lineups. Go over there and do it. So I was like, um, okay. And so that one happenstance, you know, instance turned into four years of doing, you know, PA in high school for basketball. And then we also were lucky enough to have uh, a TV production program, which, you know, did a daily morning show, a weekly uh, all student produced TV show that was 25 minutes long that would air every Friday. And then of course, we had a, a bunch of other stuff where we work on projects and things like that. And so I got involved with the production pro- TV production program, did play-by-play on our webcast my junior and senior year of high school. And then all the while, not even in school, um, I had a couple – I was one of those nerds who, like, I wasn't going to listen to the music in my car when I was driving to and from school. I was, like, blasting Dan Levitard's radio show with my windows open, driving to school every day. And leaving school every day. So I was always listening to sports radio all the time. And I would sit with a radio in my bedroom. And like when text lines started to be a thing on sports radio, I would text into the show and like not really realizing anything. But like weekends usually don't have as much traffic as like a, a weekday show. And so I'm sit- I remember sitting in my bedroom when I was younger listening to a weekend sports show. And I text in. And they read my text on the air, and I was so excited about that. And I, like, ran to call my dad. And, like, years later, I was, like, working behind the scenes. And I was like, oh, there's, like, three texts that we get over a three-hour show. So, of course, they'll take the interaction. But, uh, you know, I started to follow some of – this is when social media was, like, really first starting. So I started to follow some of the hosts, add them on Facebook. And 
you know, when I was 14, I remember reaching out to a, a host named Larry Million, who's still down here in this market. Now he's doing stuff for Slam Radio on Sirius XM. And I pretty much asked if, you know, he needed an intern. And this is at like the third or fourth, you know, station at his popularity, I guess you could say, down in South Florida. But just reaching out through Facebook, you know, I, I was working as a counselor at a summer camp in high school. And I was picked up by my aunt to go meet with the guy. And I, I started interning for him at 14 and uh, then met some other people and then did one of those uh, pay for airtime radio shows with uh, a friend of mine uh, and somebody else and interned with Dan Levitard eventually in the end. Like I was already doing stuff on air, both, you know, at school and on radio after. And it was just really, I look back on it and it's just, Hey, go to the introductions for this basketball game. And Hey, you know, you reached out to this guy on Facebook when you were 14. And so that kind of got everything jump started from there, which I thought, you know, looking back on it, it's, you know, it's crazy to think that somebody gave someone as young as I was an opportunity to sit around and intern on a radio show. I thought it was the coolest thing. And it was at the time. So what in the world was it like to intern for the Dan Levitard show? I mean, on TV and listening on radio, it just kind of looks like a well-controlled circus in a way, right? Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Um, I, I interned for them back when they were still only local. And uh, Mark Hockman was still their executive producer. And I, I remember I would leave school once a week on a Tuesday, skip out of my fourth hour class, and then go to the station. And organized chaos. I mean, that's obviously they've got it down to a T where they like bad is good. Good is good and bad is good for them, which is an amazing you know realm to be living in. And the thing that... I found, you know, that taught me most about just being in that environment was, you know, to be, don't try and be someone else on the air, you know, like those guys are who they are. Like, that's just their personalities, maybe turned up a little bit, but for the most part, like, that's how those guys are. And having exposure to that early on, um, I, I think helped a good bit because I feel like it helped me be comfortable with who I wanted to be on the air. And obviously, like, when you, it's different hosting a, a show and, you know, doing play by play. And I'm sure we'll get into some of this more later. But, you know, having that like underlying thing in your mind already when you start doing play by play in college or when I started doing play by play in college, like my personality wasn't shining right away. And I wasn't obviously like a perfect everything when I first started. But there was a starting point there where I knew, all right, like I can do this and still have fun with it. I don't have to be super serious radio guy all the time. And I think that's one of the biggest things I learned from them. And you know, I still keep in touch with a bunch of the guys on the show. And uh, they're, they're great people. I, and again, I can't believe that somebody would have asked me a high schooler. You know, they, they had an internship program there with all kids who were in college. And then there was me, who was 16, 17, who was interning for them, which I thought was always pretty cool. Was there ever a strong consideration for you to get into sports talk as opposed to play-by-play? -play, or once you got to college, you knew that play-by-play -play was the route you wanted to take? Um... I think a little bit, um, just from being in that environment a lot, I had a lot of airtime doing just that, but I think that was because that was the opportunities that, you know, mm -hmm. were there for me besides, you know, I was getting the best of both. I was doing, you know, the stuff in my high school and I was doing this away from it. So I thought, Oh, maybe doing both would be cool. But then I kind of, when I got to college, um, I started doing a radio show by myself twice a week and it just got to the point where it was just too much on top of school and then on top of doing play by play. And then I realized to myself, I like listening to it a lot more than I like doing it. And I like doing play by play a lot more. 
And so I've shifted more of my focus uh, to that with the occasional, you know, college radio, you know, sports radio shows and things like that. But uh, yeah, uh, I, there was a time where I wanted to do both, but you know, I'm glad that I eventually settled on this. Not settled, but you know what I mean? Yeah. And you settle into a play-by-play role when you're a student at USF, and it's kind of similar to what I went through at Tennessee, Kyle went through at William Patterson. We were some of the only people that really wanted to be play-by-play broadcasters, and I know you had some influences when you were a freshman, but really after that, you had time to shine and call just as many sports as you wanted, right? Yeah, I mean, that was one of the major factors in picking a school that I wanted to go to. Um, the, the friend that I mentioned earlier that I was doing these pay for airtime shows with, his name is Chris Winningham. He's also in the profession now doing a lot of stuff down here in South Florida. And Chris went to the university of Miami and he was the sports director at WVUM. And when I was in high school, like my junior and senior year, I saw that he was doing all the football games, all the basketball games, all that stuff. And I was like, all right, I got to go to a place where I can do that too. And so when I looked at my options for school, it was all the Florida schools. I'm from Florida. We had Florida prepaid, all the bright futures, all that good stuff. So we were going to a Florida school. You know, Syracuse sounded nice, but it was also an incredible amount of money that my family, rightfully so, wasn't willing to pay. Not knocking it. I have a lot of friends who went there. I'm sure you guys do, too. It's a great school. Um, but I felt for me, I need to find a place where I can go and get the practical experience. And so my choices boiled down to UNF. UCF and USF. UNF the now football team, so bye. Uh, no offense to UNF. Hey, you uh, could UCF. have had a baseball internship with me in Jacksonville down the road, but that's fine. Ah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> hey, the, the jumbo shrimp. They weren't that's the jumbo right. shrimp. They were the dolphins. They were the no. They were sons. The, they sons. Were the sons. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Sons, the Jacksonville yeah. Dolphins is the college there. I've done getting. That's right, baseball's yeah. never been hotter, Josh. You got to you got to <laughs> get that into your head. <laughs> um. So, and when I narrowed it down to UCF and USF. Uh, UCF had a student radio station, but they weren't well established. They were kind of doing certain things, but it wasn't as established. And I looked up USF and Bulls Radio, and it was exactly what I wanted. It was student government uh, funded, so they were backed by you know the people upstairs, and uh, we were able to. It was everything that I could have possibly wanted to. We had talk show opportunities, we had production opportunities, we had uh, employment opportunities, and we had play-by-play opportunities there. And so the first thing I did before I even started Summer B as a freshman was I reached out to Nick Flamia, who was the uh, sports director his senior year. Nick had done Tampa Yankees baseball for a long time. And uh, Nick was like, hey, you know, I'm, I just graduated, but our station director, Nick, and our sports director, Kirsten, get in contact with them. I'm sure, you know, they'd be happy to have you. So I showed the initiative right away, you know, first summer. You know, I said, you know, what I had done and I wanted to get involved. And I think they appreciated that because in a school like USF, I mean, you kind of mentioned it, you know, both your experiences. There's not a lot of people that are there that, like, want to do this. It's like, oh, it's a fun thing to do in my free time. Like, myself, Nick, the, the, the uh, station director, and Kirsten, the sports director, like, we all, like, I could tell, like, they wanted, to, this is what they wanted to do. And it's what they were going to do when they graduated. And they both obviously are now. Nick is doing some uh, ESPN radio stuff in Orlando, Lakeland Magic. And Kirsten, of course, has been a minor league baseball voice for a a number of years. Um, So being being able to work under those two and kind of learning from them early on as a freshman. You know, the first – I'd never called a soccer game in my life. And the first game that I called at USF was a – it was the opener. It was ranked Michigan against ranked USF. You know, they always have that welcome week program of things they do every day. So, like, the thing that day was everybody's going to the soccer game. So, 
All the berms were packed. The stands were packed. It's really a great venue for, you know, the side of school we are. But, you know, I had never done soccer before. And not only was I doing soccer, I wasn't the play-by-play. I was the color analyst. So I'm sitting here trying to, you know, speak in the most general terms possible without sounding too stupid. And, you know, I had texted a couple friends before, like, hey, give me some things that I shouldn't, shouldn't say. And uh, from there, it was, you know, awesome. I didn't call every football game. I did a lot of pregame shows, did a lot of producing during games. Um, you know, I traveled once or twice. But, you know, after my freshman year, Nick had graduated, Kirsten had graduated. And for my sophomore, junior, and senior year, like, it was my show to run. And, like, that's that time, those three years are, you know, pretty much what I credit, you know, being ready at a college, you know, with. I don't think that I'm ready to, you know, work at FIU doing their football and basketball right out of college if I hadn't done three full seasons of practice and critiques of every sport, you know, on a college campus, football, basketball, baseball, softball, soccer, volleyball, all of that. And so, you know, it might not be Syracuse and I might not be in specific classes that are teaching me how to do play-by-play, but I was getting the experience doing the games, getting the reps, and then getting critiqued by somebody who knew what they were talking about. So I, the next time I got behind the mic at a game, I knew what to do and how to improve on the previous one. Um, so that, that, that was the biggest thing for me. It was just the opportunity that Bulls Radio provided. Like, I learned more doing stuff at Bulls Radio than I did in any of my classes in the communications department. And that's not like an indictment of them. It's just they didn't offer classes for play-by-play. It was just your run of the mill. All right. If you want to get into TV production, here's, you know, a course that'll help you with the behind the scenes stuff. And you have electronic field production, which is shooting, editing, you know, writing all that stuff into a package and learning how to do that and documentary classes and things like that. But there was never the play by play class. Bulls radio was that for me. And I spent a lot of time over the course of four years there and met some friends that, you know, I'm still friends with today, obviously. And, you know, even on top of all that, the connection with Kirsten, you know, my first after my first summer at USF, I came back home and I worked at the same summer camp again that I mentioned earlier. And I was planning on doing that again the following summer after my sophomore year. But Kirsten had gotten promoted to the number one job with Clearwater. And she was like, hey, like, I don't know if you're still going to be up here, but, you know, if you want the number two, you know, let me know. And we'll, you know, set up a meeting with the GM and so I was kind of weighing, all right, do I want another 100 games, 80 to 100 games of baseball reps? Or do I want, in professional baseball, as a sophomore going into my junior year of college? Or do I want to go back and work at a summer camp? And the decision was obviously very easy. And I ended up with the Threshers for four seasons while I was still in college and, you know, right after I finished. So Bulls Radio is the conduit, you know, into pretty much everything. Yeah, you mentioned you were getting a lot of critiques in that time. Who were some of the mentors that were really helping you listening to tapes quickly after games and allowing you to make that progress your final three years at USF? Well, I'll be honest. So I, I was kind of shy to send my stuff out to established broadcasters. Number one, I wasn't confident in my work. And number two, I didn't know how to get in touch with them. I, uh, and that's on me, obviously. I didn't try hard enough to do that. But Part of that also was, you know, I mentioned Nick Granowitz, he was our station director, and he was working with a guy named David Brody once a week. And student government, in our budget, put in something for hit to pay David once a week to work with us um, and listen to our stuff and give us critiques. So once a week, for a half an hour, David was listening to a segment from my football games and was critiquing him. So I had that once a week. And obviously, it's no good to have a bunch of, you know, 
other people look at your work. And obviously, as the years have gone on, I've sent my stuff out around to a, a number of different guys. But David was huge in that process. And then along the way, you know, when broadcasters come and they, you know, do some of your school's games, you, you know, I would go make an appointment to go and introduce myself and make sure I got their emails. Um, whether I followed up, followed up on that, you know, but, uh, you know, David was a huge help and, you know, he was the guy that for three plus years was listening to my tape literally every single week, you know, going through and making sure and helping me get better. So let's flash ahead now to your senior year. You, you win the Jim Nance award in, in 2016. Uh, I, I've, I've heard the story of how you found out, but let's have it on this podcast because it's kind <laughs> of a funny story. Um, so when you find out that you win the award, what's, what's your reaction? So, um, we were getting ready to do, I think we were playing at UConn and it was a weekend series, UConn USF. And we had a web stream and the flagship radio broadcast. And I, I can't remember if I, which one I was doing, but I know I recorded the, um, open with Jim Lauk, USF's play-by-play broadcaster, uh, for the webcast. I know I did that, but I wasn't sure if they were taking our radio stream. That's irrelevant. Anyways, I was sitting up in the booth, and I was stressing. I was trying to, like, distract myself by filling out my book, but, like, I really couldn't. And I was talking to a bunch of people, and I didn't really expect to win. I didn't know what was happening. I'd heard from one of the judges that they liked my stuff. And so I was like, all right, like maybe there's a real chance at this because when I, I wasn't even going to apply from the beginning, I had to be convinced to apply. It wasn't like a huge kumbaya moment, but like it was one of those, wow, what do you have to lose type of things? Um, so I applied, didn't really expect much of it. And then the weekend before I had heard from one of the judges that, Hey, you might have a shot at this. I was like, all right, here we go. So I'm psyching myself now, psyching myself out now as I'm trying to fill out my book before the game. And they, uh, I guess the stream had gone down. And so STAA Talent's Twitter account is just naming the honorable mentions and the, you know, 2019, 18, like one tweet at a time. And so I have the notifications on on my phone and we go down to shoot the open. They get through the honorable mentions. We come back upstairs and my broadcast partner or the radio broadcaster is downstairs. Mike Lefko, he's getting a pregame interview with coach. And we finally get into the top 20 as they're announcing them. I go uh, 20 to 16. I'm not in it. Uh, 15 to 11. I'm not in it. Like, all right, here we go. Ten, nine, they skip to seven. There's like a 15-minute delay. Then they go back to eight, and they re- reorder it. We get to six. I'm not six. I'm not five. I'm not four. And then the kid who I thought was going to win placed third. His name's Tyler Bradfield. Went to uh, Ball State. Good friend. Um, and I wasn't second. I was like, there's no way. There's, you know, there's no way. They must have forgotten. It's fine. No worries. And I see my face pop up on the screen and like, I wasn't like, I was obviously excited, but it was more shock where like, it was just like, holy bleeping bleep. And it was like in that tone, it was that I turn around to one of our production guys behind me. And I was like, I won like, holy, holy bleep. I won. And I looked down at the dugout. And I gave a thumbs up and then they gave me a thumbs up back from the dugout. It was a really cool moment. And then my phone started to blow up and then we're finally in the third inning and I'm finally getting my book filled out. Uh, for that night's game. But I just remember being so like, not, I was shocked and surprised if it's possible to be both because, you know, you go into it with certain expectations. And even when someone says, you know, Hey, you have a shot at it. Like you don't really know, because again, you're your own harshest critic. So you don't know what, this is really my first time sending stuff out like that to really get feedback like this and stack myself up against 
my peers in college who I wasn't sure, you know, I had heard a lot of them. And again, the guy like Tyler Bradfield, like I thought he was creeping a prop in college and he was at the time. Um, so, you know, if I had placed, I would have been really honored. But like the fact that my name popped up there, I could have never predicted that. And obviously it set the tone for what happened, you know, after I graduated and whatnot. And I'm sure it was an enormous sense of pride knowing that you didn't come from that traditional broadcast school and you were able to win that award. So you're not only helping, I guess, quote unquote, your own brand, but USF's brand, a broadcasting brand. Um, but for you as well, um, did others reach out in the business after you win that award? Have you had constant communication with Jim Nance as he talked to you every once in a while? Do you have... Is there that relationship there because you are the Jim Nance Award winner that every once in a while you do hear from? So um, it, it kind of plays into, I'm sure, what we're going to talk. I've said we're going to talk about something in a little bit, like four times. But I'm sure we're going to talk about this part in a little bit. <laughs> but, you know, one of the things I'm fortunate enough in being able to do with Sports USA is, you know, every now and again, we'll have a game that I'm doing and Jim is doing. It's happened like three or four times. So I'll shoot him a text right before and say, hey, going to be there, see you there. But I remember uh, the first time he called me to congratulate me afterwards, um, I didn't recognize the numbers. So I just answered it. I answered the phone like complete, not like disrespectfully, but like not how I would answer the phone if I knew Jim Nance was calling me. And so like I was just, hello, who's this? Like just not even thinking about it. And then he's like, hey, Josh, it's Jim Nance. And I'm like, hey, Jim, sorry about that. Um, and he's, he, you know, he could not have been any nicer then. And he always takes the time when we see each other now to talk. Um, the first couple of years after the award, we had like one phone call a year where we would just catch up a little bit. But now that, you know, there's the opportunity where we could have the same game. We talk in person and, uh, he's, he's been great. I mean, he's just, he, he is who he is. He's one of the best in our business, and he's one of the best people, too. Uh, he's, he's been awesome. It's kind of continuing the arc of your career. Really, everything, it seemed like, had been really going to plan and going what a lot of college sportscasters go through. You get to do a lot of your own school. Maybe you work in being a number two like you were in minor league baseball. But then to take the next step, it's a little more uncertain. And for you, you were able to change your career arc in a lot of ways by getting a Division One football and men's basketball right. job. How did the opportunity uh, with FIU come about? How did you interview for it? And then what was that uh, time like with the Panthers? So... That summer after I graduated was one of the most stressful times in my life, as I'm sure, you know, any college broadcasters graduating can, you know, relate to. I'm sure you guys can relate to it as well. Just the amount of uncertainty where, you know, I had a thresher season to finish. My lease at my apartment ended July 31st, so there's still a month to go after that. I don't know what's going to happen. Will I work in Tampa? Will I be working in Iowa? Will I be working in Florida? Like, I didn't know what was going to happen. You know, so I'd applied to a, a couple of things. Um, I'd gotten a couple of uh, phone interviews with West Virginia for a position there. And in like mid-June, um, to take it full circle, one of the guys that I interned for on the weekends at 7 night at the ticket while I was in high school had reached out to me on Twitter and said, hey, we're getting the rights to FIU this year. We don't have anybody doing the games yet. I don't. I can't guarantee anything, but if you know, you think you would something you would be interested in. Here's this guy's email. He's our sales guy handling, you know, all of that, you know, send him your stuff. 
And so I do that. I get a confirmation. Actually, I don't even think I got a confirmation that he got my email. And I'm just kind of sitting around like twiddling my thumbs waiting for something to happen. And then out of the blue, Bobby Staub, who was the um, associate AD at one of the associate ADs at the time at FIU, calls me up. He explains all the, you know, specifics about what it is. I guess he'd already listened to my tape. And he's like, look, here's what the pay is. It's not a lot. But, you know, if you want to do it, let us know. We'll, you know, get that, you know, more in motion. And you know, the West Virginia thing was still a possibility. And I had asked them, you know, they they wanted to take me out there for an interview later in the month. And FIU wanted an answer at the end of the week. So I was, I said to West Virginia, I was like, look, I have this. But, you know, if we could work something out, they're like, you know what, you know, we appreciate it. But, you know, that's a great opportunity. And if you want to take that, go ahead. And so, you know, pay obviously doesn't matter when the offer on the table is a Division One football job where you're from, where your family is and all that stuff. And so all those factors contributed to obviously, you know, taking the FIU job. And I'm so thankful that I did. Um I don't know that there would have been an opportunity anywhere else like that. And, you know, I, the, my broadcast partner was Wes Carroll that season, and Wes and I are still great friends to this day. Uh, we talk all the time. Um, and so just getting the experience of working with a team in that kind of environment and then building relationships with the people on your own crew. Like, it was it was literally just me and Wes on, or on road games, Wes and I on road games. So I would handle the equipment. I would set it up. I would do all that. I'm sure that's not foreign to, you know, a lot of people who do this. But, you know, we were kind of running our own show. And it was a 30-minute pregame show that I hosted. And then uh, the game, the first half. And then at halftime, we do, you know, three or four segments. One of those segments every game was an interview segment with one of the sponsors. And I never knew who the sponsor was. So one of the associate ADs would walk into our pod that served as the radio booth for both radio teams and they would be like, all right, Josh, here is John from Lime. Talk to him for five minutes. And then halftime would end, and we're back into the game, and then game over, we do a post-game show, and that's it. And having that sort of wearing, you know, a lot of different hats and having to, you know, kind of think on your toes and, you know, things like that helped, helped a bunch. And, again, it wasn't about the pay, you know, interacting with the coaches, knowing how to be professional in an environment like that, interacting with the players, cutting and editing your own interviews for pregame shows, again, formatting things. Like, that was all part of the experience that, you know, the next step of things that I didn't necessarily get to do at USF. Um, and all the while there, in the summer leading up to working with FIU, I was back home in August, and David was helping me uh, reach out to a bunch of different, you know, radio companies, Compass, Cumulus, uh, Western One, Sports USA, all of those. And the only one that got back to us was Larry Khan at Sports USA. And so Larry had spent an hour on the phone with me going through a, a full broadcast of mine for my senior year. It was like, you know, giving me critiques on what he thought. Josh, you know, we don't have anything for you now, but, you know, keep in touch with us. You know, good luck with your season this year. Send me some stuff. Maybe we'll find some room for you on a bowl game. So, Getting back in touch with them later in the year, sending my stuff. A week and a half goes by, I don't hear anything. And in my head, I'm thinking, all right, when I, especially when I first took the FIU job, was, all right, I'll spend, you know, three, four years at FIU. Just trying to map it out in my head to see, you know, what would happen. I'll spend, you know, three or four years at FIU, whatever it is. And, you know, maybe 
you know, the guy at USF retires and, you know, maybe that's an avenue to keep moving up. I never expected things to happen the way they did. And so after that week and a half of hearing nothing from Larry after I sent him the updated stuff, his response was, hey, Josh, sorry for, you know, not getting back to you sooner. Sounds great. Do you want to do the Independence Bowl? And I was like, yeah, of course I do. And so I do the Independence So I, Sorry, excuse me. So then a, a day or two later, I get another email from Larry. He's like, you know, Josh, you're already doing the Independence Bowl. You're in Florida. If we trust you to do the Independence Bowl, why wouldn't we trust you to do the Outback Bowl? So do you want to do the Outback Bowl? I was like, of course, obviously. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I do the Independence Bowl. I do the Outback Bowl, which was a 30-3 to Florida win over Iowa that year. That's right. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think, who is it? Uh, Appleby to Mark. This is such a irrelevant detail about things, but I remember it. Uh, Mark Thompson was the running back at the time. It took a long screen pass for a touchdown. It was an exciting mm-hmm. play, 30 to 3. Yeah, good times. Um, I grew up a Gator fan, by the way. And so, the, you know, the first, like, quote unquote, big game, big bowl game that I called uh, was a Gator game. It was kind of cool. But, you know, working in the booth next to Mick Hubert, who I grew up listening to with my mom and dad, you know, growing up because so my parents went to Florida. Um, but, anyways. So after the Outback Bowl that day, I'm sitting uh, at a restaurant with one of my best friends from college, just waiting for my flight home after the game. And like right when we sit down and the waitress comes over to take our order, I get a call from Larry. And he's like, hey, Josh, you know, listen to the third quarter. Not a great game, but, you know, you, you and Doug sounded good together. Um, so what are your plans for next year? And I was like, you know, I already told FIU that, you know, I, I was going to go back because I was doing basketball for them at the time already as well. Um, and I liked people there and I, you know, it was a great opportunity at home and whatnot. And he goes, well, we have a doubleheader of NFL every Sunday and we have a college game every Saturday. And my vision is for you to do one game and me to do the other. And if you're not doing a game on Sunday, you'll be doing the game on Saturday. So you can tell FIU that you're not working for them next year. <laughs> and I was like, sounds good to me. So uh, they flew me out there. Like it was, it was that simple. Obviously, thanked them profusely. I apologized to my friend because I was on the phone with my boss for thirty minutes while we were trying to catch up and have dinner before I left again. Um, but over that summer, we had kept in touch, and then Larry uh, flew me out in late July to their offices in Simi Valley, California. Um, just kind of hung out with them, got to know them a little bit better, and then eventually got our schedule. And it turns out, again, the first game that I did regular season in 2017 was Tennessee, Florida, which was the Felipe Franks, Tyree Cleveland, uh, Hail Mary as time expired. Don't you just kind of step it. into some good <laughs> games. Here. I, I, don't, I don't want to talk about I, it. So, exactly. And so, I, <laughs> so you know, and I was, I think, what was it, the year, the, the game in that series before that, that was also in the swamp, wasn't that the Antonio Callaway, Callaway. game? Yeah. Yeah. So they had the Callaway finish at the swamp, and then the next game at the swamp with those two was the Tyree Cleveland. Uh, you remember those rides, so. right? In between, yeah, it was a yeah. great comeback victory for the Tennessee Volunteers yeah, wearing those awful smoky gray uniforms. But again, regardless, <laughs> was that one win in the last fifteen years? I was there. Like My that? dad and I had a fun time. <laughs> at least you saw. It, Actually, I don't know if it's going to happen start, again. Uh, they're replaying the uh, Tax Slayer Bowl, Indiana, Tennessee. One of your former guests, Tom Hart, is do, was doing That's this right. game. So I was actually watching that before we started this. But uh, so, again, I mentioned, you know, growing up a Gator fan and then 
you know, I, one of my earliest memories of attending a sporting event was being at a Tennessee, Florida game with my parents sitting at the end of the swamp and the Gators losing and me crying about them losing. That's one of my earliest sports memories. <laughs> so the first game that I do for sports USA is like a full time with them was a game in the swamp. And to have that finish, I'm a little mortified by my call. I don't really like it, but that's besides the point. Was an incredible experience. Uh, you know, working with Doug Plank again, someone who I was comfortable with, um, was awesome. And then the next week after that was my first NFL game, which was uh, Giants Eagles in Philadelphia. And I don't know if you remember what was going on that particular weekend, but not to get into too much into this, obviously, but that was the weekend where the president had said a certain thing about certain players in the league. So me, a 23 year old getting thrust into a game of that, uh, of such high profile with one of the players who's been most outspoken about it and Malcolm Jenkins, I'm like, all right, how do I handle this in my first game? And, you know, my boss kind of talked me through it beforehand, but I remember I worked with John Robinson that day. It ended on a Jake Elliott 61 or 62-yard field goal. It was a rookie NFL record for longest field goal by a uh, by a rookie kicker. And obviously great memories from that day. But I remember later on in the year, I had I was doing a, a Baltimore, a game in Baltimore. And we had the same stat guy and spotter um, in that game. And I remember the statistician walking up to me before. He's like, huh. You seem a lot less nervous today than you did a, a few weeks back when we did the game. With you. I was like, really? And did I seem that nervous? I'm like, oh, <laughs> I guess I did. But uh, that first season was just incredible. We had so many great finishes. We had those two. Then I had uh, Syracuse's upset of Clemson in the Carrier Dome on that Friday night. I mean, we had a ton of great games that year. Um, and I think being put thrown into the fire in that way helped – me move forward and you know get better and more comfortable behind the mic uh doing these games each week sorry (laughs) no you're good uh you mentioned the first time you'd reached out to larry and he was able to talk to you for an hour uh, you know critiquing your work this is before you know you were in consideration really for a job with them just what did you kind of learn in that call and now that you've worked with him for a long time on such a big network what's most important for him to hear out of his play-by-play announcers well it was a lot of nitpicking from him um you know if you listen to his interview with uh, joel Gadet from a few weeks back you'll hear a lot of kind of what he told me um there's a lot of little things here and there that he likes for his style and that was really the first time that i had heard from someone who's high who hires people what they look for in their people and you know it's what you would you know hear somebody who's comfortable on the air confident a good personality conversational with somebody but also the little intricacies of what he likes to hear and, and his descriptors. So it's not near and far side. It's left and right. It's, you know, it's just little things like that, that he would tell me. Um, extra details that, you know, you don't have to throw in every single play that it's a chest high snap or a belt high snap, or it's a two handed catch turning. Like all that stuff is great. No question about it. But what he was saying to me was, you can do that, but it doesn't have to be every single play because sometimes that could be information overload. And I know there are a lot of different philosophies on that specific thing. For me, I like, you know, I'm, I'm okay with both styles. I'm more of a in-between where I'm not going to give you every little nook and cranny of what's happening, but I'll throw it in there, you know, every few plays, things like that. 
Uh, but it was just more of his philosophy on things and how, you know, it, I'm sure you guys have heard this a lot in some of your critiques and just general feelings on how these things should go. You're having a conversation like the three of us are watching a game. You know, you're not supposed to be Mr. Broadcaster, announcer guy. Um, and, you know, some of the things that he's told me about other people that he's, you know, seen who I think are good, he goes, yeah, they're good, but like too announcery for me, you know, like things like that. And I know that's a very... Uh, broad way and vague way of saying something but you you know what i'm yeah. trying to get across there and so i was really thankful that he even took the time to sit there and listen to what we were doing and i've just kind of tried to mold myself into what i know he wants to hear and then and i mentioned that clemson syracuse game uh sports usa and westwood one have a really good relationship and howie denneroff was there for, for parents weekend at syracuse for his daughter and you know, Syracuse is obviously a little bit of a tougher place to get to. And we had a different engineer and our engineers, uh, Brian and Lyle, usually do both the engineer and produce for us. So Howie was our producer at Syracuse that day. So again, I'm 23 years old, probably on my probably fifth or sixth game, doing radio on the stage. And I've got like, all of us want to one day be working for Westwood, want to work for Howie, do an NFL, college basketball, whatever it is, the NCAA tournament. Like that's who we want to work for. And so now he's standing over my shoulder producing the game, and I know he's listening to every little thing that I'm saying. So I'm like psyching myself out a little bit. But afterwards, he gave me an incredible critique. And so now I'm, now I know what Larry wants to hear, and now I know what a guy like Howie wants to hear as well. I think I have that paper somewhere on my desk uh, of all the critiques he gave me. But you know, those opportunities came from you know Larry and just learning from a guy like him who's been doing this for so. Like I don't know if you know Larry's story, but uh, Larry started his own network to do USC football and USC's football rights were up in like the nineties. And he tells a story to Joel and him and a couple other people just decided they were going to, you know, put the money in, purchase the rights and they were just going to go do it. And now here we are sports USA, you know, like we've done hundreds of games at sports USA. Uh, and it was really cool to be a part of um, those milestones as I was just starting out with them over these last three seasons. But yeah, I mean, learning from those guys, someone, people who've done it and know what they look for, that was obviously rewarding and helpful. And getting into the weeds a little bit, I guess, on football play-by-play, but how long did it take you to get into that rhythm? So as announcer, especially now, I mean, there's a lot of no-huddle offenses, so you really have to spit out a lot of words in a little amount of time. But uh, a pre-snap routine of down, distance, yard line, a post-snap routine of, okay, this play went for this amount of yards. Now the ball is on this yard line, down, distance, hash mark, whatever. How long did it take for you to get down, Pat, kind of the rhythm that you need to have to have all the information necessary for the listener? It's a great question. Um, so when I was in college, you know, getting critiques all the time, USF finally my senior year had moved to a non archaic offense. That was actually more up tempo. And so you can kind of get used to that. But I had what four years in college and the one at FIU of just doing strictly college. And so I was used to the college game and how, you know, the speed of it and whatnot. But then when I went from that Tennessee, Florida game one week to that Giants Eagles game the next week, like it is, noticeably faster even though like they might be more deliberate in how they get up the line and you know they're not as hurry up in every sense that you know maybe they would be in college but just the speed of the game everything is faster going to break like i don't have time to go on some soliloquy about you know wrapping up the last drive before we go to break like field goes up and good three nothing florida over tennessee 
back after this on Sports USA. Like I didn't have time to, you know, it was a this many play drive and this many yards. And it was the big play was this on this drive back after this. It was no time score, get out. And because in the NFL, you have what, a minute and a half, two minutes, and it's like strict. And so if you're behind getting a break, you're going to come back and you're going to miss stuff. With college, two and a half minute break. So you have a little bit of leeway there. Um, but adjusting to the speed from one week to the next, it took me a full half at least just to get used to the, the speed of the, uh, of, the, of the pro game. But as far as you know, the nuts and bolts of what you want to have pre-snap, during a play, and after a play, like we were just talking about all the extra details. But like the first thing you have to nail down, and Kyle, you said it was, all right, it's first and 10 at the Eagles 32-yard line. Um, Carson Wentz is under center with Jordan Howard in, uh, as a long tailback behind him. And if that's all I can do at that point, that's all I can do. But if I get to the line and I have a little bit extra time, I can say, all right, Alshon Jeffrey split out to the left and then three wide receivers set, two more to the right, something along those lines. And then obviously if I can say, you know, four down linemen or three down linemen, whatever it is defensively, that's great. And the play happens, call play. And that brings up second down and six after the gain of four from the 36. Um, and then I, you know, that to me, obviously that's not enough, Like you have to have down distance and yard line every single play. Like, obviously there are going to be times here and there where, you know, a team's going hurry up and your analyst is late getting it, you know, late finishing his thought, whatever you get it on the back end. But to me, like, that's obviously the most imperative thing because obviously we are the eyes for the listener and obviously that might seem obvious, but I mean, first and 10 at the 30, at their own 30 going right to left is like obviously the most important thing you can do because at the very least, even if your descriptors are the most basic things he throws to the right and it's caught for a five yard gain, at least the listener knows what yard line and where the ball is going. And so to me, that's the most important thing. And then once you get that down, you add in the, the meat and potatoes of the different descriptors and adding in other things and describing what's going on around it. Maybe Dabo Swinney is sprinting down the sideline to call a timeout or something like that. Or he's, or Brent Venables is jumping up and down on the sidelines because he's a madman trying to get his defense, defense's attention. And he's got a strength coach trying to hold his belt back from, you know, him running on the field. You can obviously add all those, all those things in afterwards. But to me, like that's the most important thing is making sure that you make sure the listener knows where the ball is, what's the down and distance, and things like that. Because, and I think this is one of the things Larry told me, and I think some young broadcasters get caught up in this. Um, and minor leaguers too. Like I just listened to a, a, a minor league broadcasters tape the other week, and you know when you just refer to receivers or players in the minor leagues as just by their names, it's different than the pro. Like obviously minor leagues, probably you know what I mean the major league level or just the pro game, the names are a lot familiar to people, more familiar to people. So if I'm doing an FIU game and I say Smith is in the slot, what does that mean to anybody? Nobody knows who Smith is. So you can just say there's two wide receivers left and two to the right. But if they have that big name guy, we'll just use Tennessee as an example. If I see Jawan Jennings is split out wide and left, I'm like, yeah, I can say Jawan Jennings' name because chances are if you're listening to this game, you know who Jawan Jennings is. Like, that's one of the guys that Tennessee has so you can reference him by his name but Larry one of the things he told me was Josh you don't have to say every single name of everybody who's lined up if there's an important player there go ahead 
but it's more important to just lay out the formation and even more important that if you try and force in those names, you might yourself fall behind on the snap and then the play is going on and fans get, or people listening can hear what's happening. They hear the helmets crashing from the effects. They can hear the crowd reacting to anything. And you're still saying that Smith is lining up in the slot. <laughs> so, you know, there's a good balance there, obviously. And the more you do, the more comfortable you get with that. But uh, again, the baseline of down distance and where the ball is. And then of course, you know, every few plays mixing in the time and score, that's hugely important. That is almost like a cheat code, right? To to just say who is the highlighted receiver as opposed to just going down the line. Because like you said, especially a fast game, it's just and, – and you can't cheat the audience when there's a good effects feed. Because once exactly. you hear the helmets clank, it's you, or it's like basketball. They can know you're behind the play if they can hear the the net swish, like the rim clank, and you're still describing things, but the right. shot it clearly was missed. You know, or what I'm in saying? baseball, if, if you're behind a pitch and you hear the crack of the bat, even if it's fair or foul, like I used to do that a lot, and it was a bad habit of mine where I was in a conversation and I hear the, and the crack of the bat happens and it's a foul ball, so I don't, I'm not like too, you know, in a rush to get to it, but still like. Something happened. Like everyone can hear the crack of the bat, and you're still talking about Jimmy and what he ate for breakfast last week, like or this morning. It doesn't matter. What matters is, you know, what's happening there and like the baseline information that the listener would need. Do you have you had that uncomfortable conversation with analysts on radio saying how just telling them how concise they need to be with again up up tempo style offenses, you need to be maybe five to eight seconds on a point because I need to do my pre-snap, my post-snap, get all the bare bones down. Yet yeah, you probably have a ton to say because you know a ton about the sport, but you need to be like five to ten seconds at the most. Well see it's it's a great question because again I'm twenty three at the time. Right. I'm not twenty three now, but I'm starting at twenty three and I'm working with Doug Plank who has a defense named after him, uh, the 46 <laughs> defense. It's named after Doug Plank. I'm working with John Robinson, who was a college football Hall of Famer and uh, another time national champion with LSU this past season. Um, he was one of their support staff members. Um, I'm working with Mark Carrier, who was an All-American in the first-round pick, and Charles Arbuckle, who was an All-American tight end. And so at Hank Bauer, who has the all-time record in the NFL for special teams tackles in a season, who's been doing broadcasting for more than 20, 25 years. And all these guys have worked with Sports USA for a lot longer than I have. So I have always found it a little uncomfortable. And Larry's tried to, like, knock this out of my brain where it's like, Josh, when you're there and the game's going on, like, you got to be in control of what's happening there. But at the same time, like, it's easy for Larry to say that. It's his company. But it's also true. And so, like, I, to me, like, I don't want to come off as the – to John Robinson, like, who the hell is this 23-year-old trying to tell me how to do this job? John still is going to forget uh, way more about football than I will ever know in my life. And so there's that, like, balance of, hey, you know, great stuff there, but, you know, if you don't mind just, like, cutting off, like, a couple of seconds earlier so I can get, you know, the stuff in. And that conversation has happened you know, multiple times, but if I'm not rude about it, like they're usually receptive to it. Um, I've had to have conversations like that a few times, but as long as you're respectful about it and you're not like, Hey man, could you shut up and let me talk first? Like, <laughs> obviously no, like you're going to say like, Hey, that was great stuff. And I really like the point you made there, but you know, they're going a little fast. I need some time to, you know, set up the play. Um, and nine times out of 10, they know. And they're like, all right, no worries. Like, 
And that's the other thing too, is we work in such a good environment in Sports USA where we're all friends with each other off the air. Like we got dinner and stuff and whatnot. Like what crews do, like while they're on site in a, in a city for a game. And so we're all comfortable with each other. And we know none of it's personal, unless it obviously gets personal, but it never does. And so those conversations are thankfully easy to have, but I'm more comfortable having them now because at this point, we're three years into this working with these guys. And, you know, I think, too, like that's one of the advantages of working with somebody different, you know, work with four or five different guys throughout a season. And I think that's helpful in being able to, you know, mold yourself to be able to work with different people and not get used to just one person. So you're not getting into those habits. You're able to be a chameleon and kind of, you know, work around different people and different people's skill sets because John Robinson talks a lot slower and a lot more methodical than Hank Bauer does. Charles Arbuckle comes at it from a different point of view than Mark Carrier does. And so, you know, you just, have different philosophies and different styles and different analysts that you work with. But back to your question, like as long as you're respectful about it and you're not a jerk, like they're mostly respectful uh, or receptive to it, I should say. It's so difficult about, again, I was I'm in my low, yeah. mid, low to mid twenties and I'm <laughs> trying to tell these guys what to like. No, that was my, that was my uh, kind of hesitance at the beginning to do that. Absolutely. So the last little bit, we've talked a lot about how you broadcast the game and what's going on in your mind as you're calling the game. Let's talk about the week leading up to the game and preparation, what's most important for you and how you prepare for a game, whether it's college or pro, and then what's most important to put on your chart. Right. So we usually know, so like at the beginning of the season going in, we'll probably know the first four or five weeks. So, you know, I'll start on a Monday and you know, obviously the normal week of prep, but like I want to talk more about when we kind of don't know what's happening. So after those first four weeks, we only know like kind of two games at a time. We know the one next week and the one after that. And so when I finish a game and I get back home on a Sunday night or I get back home on a Monday afternoon, I'll kind of take that day to just kind of decompress after the weekend of traveling. And then on Tuesday, like we're starting back up to, you know, get everything uh, filled out. So I have some of my, my charts here. Uh, this is from Dolphins Colts. This is the Dolphins chart uh, from when uh, – let's see if I can hold that up there. Uh, this was from Dolphins Colts in Indianapolis. Uh, I believe this was Brian Hoyer's first start after the Pittsburgh game that he had come in for Jacoby Brissett. Um, and I don't know why that's an important piece of information, but I'll get to their chart in a second. But uh, the teams, obviously, they'll send – a package every week to me at my apartment on Tuesday or Wednesday. And it has the game notes. It has the media guide. It has all the press clippings and everything in it. But I like to just because it takes a lot of time to obviously go and read through all that stuff. I like to have my skeleton and all that stuff on my chart done by like the end of Tuesday for that, you know, Saturday or Sunday's game. And so after that, when I'm going through and reading everything, uh, I know, all right, let me put a star next to this. Or if I'm reading on my laptop, let me copy and paste this thing into the box. And like that might not be the final way it's like typed out on my chart, but I know that I can save it there because I saw it and whatnot. And the same thing, like, uh, I, you know, I guess prep never really stops because I say, you know, I take that Monday to decompress from the, the weekend of traveling, but prepping is kind of a, you know, it's a all the time thing, especially now with Twitter. And so if I'm scrolling through and I see a profootballtalk.com article that I know is related to what I'm, the game I'm doing the next week, 
or it's a general NFL storyline, I'll hit favorite on that. I'll make sure I read it. I'll make sure I'll pull something from it, and I'll make sure I have that in the back of my mind. So I'm obviously always doing something and trying to, you know, not, not waste all my time. But you know, after I go through some of the game notes and everything like that, and then the uh, the clippings, I'll obviously you know put it all onto the charts. Like so, to me, the team storylines and offense and defense storylines are more of what you can kind of work into a game if that makes sense on radio more than on TV. Because like if a guy makes a catch, all you really have time for is uh, that's Devonte uh, Devonte Parker with the catch. He's down at the 38 yard line, 12 straight games of the catch for Devonte Parker. And then that's really all I have time to do. So the analyst can come in, get his word. And then by heat, by the time he's done, we're already on to the next play. So what I, how I like to set it up on my charts is at the top here. Um, I have the record and everything. Uh, against their division, against the conference, and then home and away and whatnot. And then here is all general team storylines that I have at the top on the front page. And that's kind of where I'll pull. You know, I, some broadcasters like to have it on a separate sheet. I used to do that. I, I like having less paper, so I like having it all in one place. And then on the side, obviously self-explanatory, I'll have defensive uh, unit notes, and then anything that I think is important, I'll highlight on uh, my laptop. And then going to the offense – same type of thing where I'll have offensive notes and then some more offensive notes and then more towards the bottom here, offensive line nuggets if I ever even get to them. But, you know, generally for things that go in a player's box, like for Jerome Baker, I'll have what he did last week. He's a leading tackler, so I'll have that. He was a starter at Ohio State with Raekwon McMillan, who is the other linebacker for the Dolphins there, so I have that. I have the round he was drafted in and then maybe, you know, a couple other nuggets about him. Nothing major because, again, like, Unless there's a, a nice story about the guy, like other than that, what more am I really going to get in to specifically on Jerome Baker during a radio broadcast, if that makes sense? Um, but I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. I self sent these to Kyle the other day. But as far as the defense goes, we got our DBs up here, our linebackers, returners on this side, and then our defensive line at the bottom, our defensive staff, and then our defensive stats up at the top. I said staff and then stats, by the way. Um, <laughs> and then, oh, no, that was the offense, actually. Good stuff, Josh. So, excuse me, let me redo that. So, I'm looking at the defense back here and trying to read that. So, we have our tight ends to the on this side. Uh, rece- our slot guy here is where I usually like to put them. And then running backs. And then the top two receivers on this side on the depth chart with the quarterback in the middle. And we got our two backups right there, our kickers, and then our offensive line. Now we go to our defense, where we have the defensive backs up top and the linebackers in the middle, and then obviously the defensive line at the bottom. And this template was given to me by a friend of mine who went to Syracuse when I was – his name's Alex Perlman. He was working at USF while I was a student. And Alex gave me this template. I had fiddled around with a few, and then I finally settled on this. I just do it in Microsoft Excel, um, and I just fill it out throughout the week. But I usually I have NFL Game Pass, so I like to watch at least one or two of the previous games, um, whether it's the condensed version or the full game from the week before for both teams. Um, and then by you know Friday, Saturday when I'm getting ready to leave, I want to have most of this done. So because you know things are breaking on Saturday and Sunday, whether it's injuries or what, whatever it may be. So I don't like to print my stuff out until you know Sunday morning. You know if it's a one o'clock game, I'll go for, you know. Saturday night, because usually they're not open early enough on Sunday. But if it's a 4 o'clock game, I'll go Sunday morning right when they open, just because I want to have an opportunity, because my handwriting is not good. 
So I want to have an opportunity to make sure that if something gets added late, I can type it in there and have it on my chart ready for the next day. Um, it's a, it's a seven day a week process for me, really. You know, some days are obviously more intensive than others, but even when I'm not sitting in front of my laptop typing stuff on, on my chart, I'm reading something on my phone, an article that came from Twitter, or I'm reaching out to a beat writer for one of the teams to try and, you know, get a little more info on what they've done throughout the season. Um, obviously the NFL is a little bit less taxing because you're more familiar with the timeline, I should say, because you're more familiar with all the players. There's just less players in general. Like you're prepping for an NFL game and the amount of players on two teams is the amount of players on a single college football team. And so not that you're prepping for 105 players, obviously, but you got to know about 60 to, sorry, that's my phone ringing, um, spam calls, which are fun. Uh, those have started up again, but you know, it's, it's a seven day a week process for me. And, uh, it's, it's one of the, when you finish, and I'm sure you guys have this experience too. Like when you finish a chart, like for a game coming up, it's like almost a sense of accomplishment because like, oh, sorry, it's right. art. Now it's I, art. It, it's art. <laughs> it's done. I put a lot of time into it. I'm proud of it. And now I get to just go have fun and call a game. And then you start the whole process over the next week. Um, prepping is obviously the most important thing, but as you can see, like, and again, as you guys know, the people watching this know, like, I'm not going to say every single thing on this chart on radio, especially, but even if I was doing a TV game. And so, you know, we'll see a team two or three times in a season in some years. Like I had the Steelers three times in 2018. So, and I had the Dolphins twice last year and I had the Colts three times last year. So, you know, I had the Eagles twice. So I have their template already done. So it's a lot more updating. And if I see a story that I didn't maybe get to in that game, it's something that I can maybe try and work in, uh, in the next time I have them. You know, I had just gotten a critique of, of a basketball tape of mine. And, you know, this is something that I work on too, as I talk about stories, like I, I sometimes for the sake of, of getting a story and we'll try and shoehorn in a story. So one of the things that I'm trying to iron out better is I, you know, dip my toe in, and then do more TV is knowing the right time when to work one of these stories in and not just trying, you know, the example that was on the tape that I sent, it was from a basketball game uh, last season and a guy had shot, a, uh, my analyst had just made a comment about somebody and then he had the ball and he shot and missed. And I said he missed, and then I thought, oh, this is a, like it's a short nugget. It's not like a really long story, but it'll be good context kind of for here. Because when else am I be going to be able to talk about how this guy switched shooting hands in the middle of a postseason tournament last year, and now he's righty instead of lefty? And so I, you know, all right, Smart takes the shot, no good. You know, Smart changed his shooting hand last year during the CBI, and it just it didn't fit there necessarily. And I feel like I myself run into that a good bit as I try. You, you just got to have, I know Tom Hart talked about this as it pertains to baseball. Like it's a feel thing. A lot of the times, like the more games you do, the more you're going to know, all right, this is a good time to work this in. Cause I, the example I think he gave was, you know, if there's two guys on base, but the eight and nine hitters are coming up, but I know it's going to be a long inning. Like I know I can get something in there, but if we've got the, the middle of the order up and it's a tight game, like I'm not going to try and, take the attention away from what's happening and so you know it's a more natural way to work a story so that's one of the things that i work on most now i know that's not really pertaining to the question that you asked me in my prep 
but you know, that just kind of popped into my head because, you know, you asked me, all right, well, what do you think is important to put, you know, in these on your charts? And, you know, Zach Pascal, there's one that I put in here, um, where in 2017, uh, he was, you know, he's a walk on a Grambling State, was in four movies prior to being in the NFL. This is Chester Rogers, um, scored his first touchdown against the Steelers. This Colts chart was from that Steelers game, I believe. Um, if not, it was from that Dolphins game. But regardless, I had the Steelers Colts the week before. And so in here I had, it would have been good to work in. You know, Chester Rogers scored his first career touchdown against Pittsburgh in week 10 of 2017. And his dad told his son, when you score, I'm going to come get that ball. And so when Jacoby Brissett found him for that touchdown, he ran and found his dad and gave him that football. And so I never found a time to get that story in during the game, but it's one that maybe later on, if I have the Colts again and Chester Rogers scores and I have some downtime, I can tell that story from 2017. Yeah, you mentioned you've had some uh, television reps uh, with Watch ESPN, Stadium, some other outlets as well. Just what have you liked about making that transition from radio to TV and what have you found to be most important to you when you're calling either a football or a basketball game on TV? Um. I can see why people who do TV think it's so much fun. Um, I, I was I was kind of nervous, especially for basketball, um, to to do one of those games because I had literally only done radio in college, and the TV that I did was more as an analyst, and it was a web stream, so it wasn't totally structured. It wasn't really the same thing. Um, so I was kind of nervous, like how am I going to carry a conversation? Because I know on TV going in, I'm not going to be calling every chest pass and every bounce pass that's around the perimeter or even like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you don't describe every little minute detail during a basketball game on TV. So I'm thinking in my head, all right, like, how am I going to, you know, make this sound the way I want it to? And, you know, you just rely on your prep. You know, it's and I think, too, is, you know, in college, when you're working with analysts, you're working with just other kids who just they're just college students who aren't pros at this they haven't done it and so in my head i'm thinking all right this is all on me like i gotta carry the conversation i gotta do everything and then you know you work with a guy like hudson mason um, when i did marshall virginia tech you work with tim doyle um or tim scarborough those guys are really good at this and you just kind of make sure that you set them up to so they can show off their expertise and then you just kind of, I know this is kind of a cliche for this, but kind of play traffic cop in a way where, you know, less is more as far as descriptions, but you still want to make sure that you're giving enough um, while at the same time being conversational with your analyst and making it interesting to the viewer. One of the things that, you know, I ran into a little bit with basketball is I maybe tried to overcompensate a little bit coming over from radio to TV and that I wasn't doing enough and I wasn't talking about the game enough. And so we, I had uh, Lehigh and Colgate in the Patriot League tournament. And I was working with Mo Cacera. And the, the clip that I pulled from the game that I was sending to a couple of people for some feedback, you know, at first I was like, oh, you know, this sounds good. Like we're having a nice time. There's some personality in there. You know, towards the end, there's some basketball action. I like some of the conversations we had. But the feedback I got on it was, you know, Joshua's stories are great, but you know, there's a game happening in front of you. And to me, what I was thinking at the time was it's a 15 point game with five and a half minutes to go. Like, what am I going to, you know, the game is essentially decided. And I shouldn't have been so quick to think that because Lehigh made a little bit of a run to make it single digits with a few minutes left. And so it wasn't 
it's a good lesson in that sense too. But you know, Brian Anderson was one of the guys who I sent that tape to, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but he said if you are focused on being interested, it will lead to you being interesting. And so, like, if I'm just trying to be interesting and coming up with stories that might not necessarily pertain to that particular game, like, it almost seems like I'm trying to force it a little bit. But if I'm focusing on the game and I'm talking about the game, like, that in and of itself is going to make people who are watching interested in what in the game. Because if I'm talking about something that's not related to the game, then that shows that I'm not really interested in what's happening right now. Like the conversation we were having, it was a good conversation. Um, there was a prep school kid who had gotten fouled and made, uh, made a shot and you know, was taking his free throws. And so I asked Mo, who's a former college coach, you know, what's your philosophy on you know, recruiting kids from uh, prep schools? And he gave his two cents. I added something on the back end. And instead of you know, returning back to play, I kept on with that conversation. And so there's a balance there to the less is more thing where it's like you got to do some stuff as far as describing what's happening. But at the same time, you don't want to do too little. And I think that's what I ran into was that in trying to not do too much, I ended up doing too little. And that little one liner from Brian Anderson kind of stuck with me in that if I'm sitting there talking about things that are happening in the game, and how things in this game led to what's happening now and where we're at now in this game. People are going to be interested to know and hear about that stuff. Like that in and of itself is going to carry the conversation, if that makes sense. So, you know, and that, that prep school stuff, like that conversation was great and it was good interaction that I had with Mo, but I should have cut it off at a certain point. And so that's kind of the thing that, you know, in football, I listened to back to the game I did for stadium this year with Jordan Palmer and what I didn't like about it was a lot of it was, all right, I'd call a play and then Jordan would give his, uh, his, his analysis and then I'm calling a play again. And there was like, there was some back and forth with us, but it, to me, it wasn't as conversational as I wish it was. And, you know, we might notice something like that when we go back and listen, but like my girlfriend, my mom, my dad, my friends are not going to know that. Like it wasn't a bad broadcast, but I know that what I need to do to, you know, take it to that next level. And it'll get better the more I do on TV and the more anybody does at any, you know, avenue, whether it's radio or TV, like the more you do, you're going to get better. That's just the reality. But that was my third TV football game at the time. And listening back to it, it's like, yeah, it's not bad, but like, I know it can be better. And like, I'm sure you guys have had this too, where you're watching a game back and you want to punch the screen and yell at the screen because you're like, Josh, you had a nugget right here that would have been perfect to to kind of put a bow on what your analyst just said. Say it. Give like give the context of what's happening. And so that happened a lot in that point where, or during that game where I could say, all right, oh, you had a perfect thing there that you could have said. It would have made it sound so much less disjointed and more in rhythm and, you know, having a back and forth with your analyst as opposed to, you know, it's like we're doing two different things. And that's not Jordan's fault. That's my fault. I got to be more interactive with him because as green as I was, you know, he is too. So that was his first season doing, you know, color commentary on TV, you know, for Fox and for stadium that year. And so he had only had a couple of games under his belt in that sense. And so we're both kind of green, but it's more on me to make sure that I'm leading him more into conversations and not settling into, all right, you talk after the play's over and I'll talk during the play. I got to get away. That's, you know, part of the stuff I'm learning. And that's why I appreciate you guys having me on because I don't want anybody to think that, you know, 
I know what, like I'm a perfect and I'm a finished, well-rounded product. I'm not. I'm very fortunate that I have the opportunities that I've had, but I know that like I, I sound like a different broadcaster in 2019 and 2020 than I did in 2016 and 2017 when I was with FIU and then in my first year with Sports USA. Um, I'm still working on stuff a lot. Like I'm very flattered when you know college kids and other broadcasters reach out and want my thoughts on something. And like the thing that I always make sure I mention at the outset is a lot of the things that I'm going to say in this critique are things that I've been told that I need to work on. And so I know to listen to it for myself. So that's what I'm going to listen to for you. And I'm not a finished product. And again, that's why I thank you guys for having me on here because I like talking shop like this about this. It's a lot of fun. Um, but we're all trying to get better every day in what we're doing and trying to get feedback on our work. And, you know, the first part is recognizing that one of the first parts is recognizing that, you know, there are things that while it might be good and it might get you hired to do certain games, like you can be, and you should be so much better because there are things that you can improve upon. And so when you realize that and you're able to take the constructive criticism from people like that helps immensely in moving forward and growing as a broadcaster. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying, I, I listen to you guys and I listen to, you know, I was sitting here listening to, it's, June 25th, and we don't know if there's going to be a college football season coming up, but I'm sitting here watching a Tom Hart broadcast of the bowl game because, oh, maybe I can pick up something um, in just the way Tom is describing a big play or how his how high or, uh, his voice gets during an exciting play or how he handles telling a story or having a conversation while things are happening. So it, it's, you know, people have asked, well, what have you been doing during this quarantine to, you know, why you're not doing games? It's a lot of that. It's a lot of watching game replays and sending my stuff out to people and having conversations like this with other broadcasters who can relate to you and know, you know, kind of the same thing that you're going through. Um, yeah. Long, I don't even remember what, what question I was answering. <laughs> Final one for me, because you broadcast with a mutual friend, Matt Stubbington. You do some soccer uh, yes. for Vista. Um, you, you said you did some soccer and cup. My first soccer broadcast was my br first broadcast here at Florida. It was uh, Florida against Florida Atlantic in uh, Lane Stadium there, Lane Kiffin Stadium. We were about like mm. six decks up, couldn't see a thing, was doing radio. Um, but I, I, I guess I figured it out in a way. Um, how, when you started doing soccer, what are some things that are important to you when you're doing soccer? What are some things that you prep for? So uh, I, I kind of prep the same way I do for football, to be honest. We have a little more access to coaches down here at Vista where we have a coach's call with both teams, or at least the home team at the very least, um, leading up to the game. And what I've found with working with Vista, and you know, Matt included, is that if you have a baseline knowledge of the sport and you come in, come at it with a respect for it, not dismissing, oh, there's no goals in soccer, they have ties. Like, <laughs> if you approach it with a you know a respect for it, even though like USL is not the top level of soccer in, the, in this country. It's not the top, like MLS is the top level of soccer in the world, obviously. Like there's the EPL and there's you know, leagues in Italy and things like that. But if you approach the game with the respect and you know that you have an analyst that's an expert in the game, you can kind of lean on your analyst a bit more where, you know, if you get, the, if you get down the baseline terminology of what's happening, soccer is one of those games where on TV especially, you can lean more on the storytelling because really – outside of those, you know, the third of the field by where the goals, like you're not doing play-by-play -play of passes that are happening 
around the midfield. So there's more time where you can interact with your analysts and lean on your analysts more and ask them questions about certain things, general league storylines, general things that are happening about the game. And so with soccer in that it's just a different style of broadcast, I found that leaning on a guy like Matt or Devin Kerr or any of the other analysts, uh, Gary Bailey um, at Vista, leaning on those guys and their expertise, it helps me learn things, number one, that I can take into other broadcasts you know, the next time I work. But it's helping educate the listener because to me, I feel like if, if – obviously USL has its core fan base and MLS has its core fan base. But a lot of casuals turn in, tune in for this stuff. So if I'm learning something from Gary and I can help have him teach me some things, I know the listener and the viewer at home is, is you know, going through kind of the same thing. Um, so that's kind of how kind of I approach it. I don't want to do too much because I know that if I try and talk out of what I know, I'm going to sound like an idiot and I'm going to lose a lot of credibility in the broadcast in general. So I know that if I can lean on my broadcast partner's um, expertise – I know that I'm able to fill in the other gaps with my baseline knowledge of what's going on. If I don't know something and I don't know how to describe something or talk about something, I'm not going to try and do it. I'm going to say, hey, Gary, what did you see there? Or, hey, Matt, what did you see there? And so that's kind of how kind of I approach soccer specifically. And, you know, I did tennis for the first time last summer, too. And that's a whole like, obviously, you know, tennis, the scoring is kind of simple, but like, I don't think people truly have an appreciation of that game until you go up close and you see like, just how difficult it is. And so when I, it's one of those things where I got an opportunity to do something I had never done before. Um, My exposure to tennis was I played when I was a little kid and that was that. And then like, I'll watch Wimbledon and I'll watch the U S open. I'll watch the finals, but I'm like a tennis nut. I'm not like just the reality of it. But in preparing for this, you know, you learn about all the different, you know, players. I don't know if you guys have, you know, seen anything about world team tennis, but it's uh, a fantastic for, if you're a casual tennis fan, it's everything you would want in tennis. You know, you've got some big name pros like Madison Keys was on the Orlando team last year that I, you know, I did all of Orlando's home matches. Um, Madison Keys, Whitney Osigway, like she's one of the young up and comers down uh, just in tennis in general. Uh, the Bryan brothers played for the Vegas team. Red Fu from LMFAO is involved with the league too. Like, there's a lot of different players who play at a high level and have had great success at you know on tour that are playing in this league where it's a much more laid back atmosphere, but it's a little different. And I was lucky enough to work with an injured player. Uh, his name is Mackie McDonald. He was a national champion at UCLA, but he was rehabbing at Lake Nona in Orlando. So he was my analyst and I was learning on the fly of how do I call tennis? And, you know, Mackie had never done any broadcast before. So we were just kind of figuring out on the fly but I'm so thankful that I took that opportunity and something I wasn't necessarily comfortable in because I learned more about the sport. I gained more respect for the sport than I already had had before. And now I'm more confident in whatever the next time I get an opportunity to do tennis, which is hopefully next season when things, you know, it's a normal season and they're not all in one place in West Virginia. I'm able to come back and, you know, do a higher quality of a broadcast because of what I learned before. And so I think like the central thing I'm saying here is like, if you don't know it, like obviously try and learn about as much of the sport as you can before you go into it, prep like you would for a normal game, even, even more so if it's something you're unfamiliar with, but don't try and to do, don't try and do too much, you know, stick with what you're comfortable with. And if you're not, 
you have an analyst there that knows the sport, knows how things go, knows the style of certain players. So if, if, if a player hits a serve a certain way, I don't like there are so many different intricacies that I would never pick up on that Mackie would know, oh, uh, Whitney's a lot better with her backhand. So you might see uh, the shot from the other side maybe go towards her forehand, not that she would be a weak forehand, but you know what, I'm just an example. Just maybe they'll try and go a different way and attack Whitney and try and get her off her, you know, out of her comfort zone. Things like that. that I obviously would have never picked up on because Mackie knows the sport and I could just ask him a question, like he'll be able to fill it in and the same thing goes for soccer. Well, Josh, we've taken a lot of your time. We certainly appreciate all, everything you've been uh, talking to us about here on Broadcaster Hour. And just kind of quickly to kind of sum things up, I think you said it pretty well just a little bit ago. There's still a lot of things you're working on. It's still young in this business. Four years ago, you win the Nance Award, and now here we are in 2020, just as we kind of wrap things up. What do you hope the next four to five years kind of looks like in your career, and what's most important to you moving forward? Well, if it's anything like these last four years, I'm sure it's going to be a great time. I hope that just I'm able to grow more and learn more in this business and just get better. Like I'm trying to be a sponge and absorb everything that I can because, again, as I said earlier, I'm nowhere close to a finished product. I'm still I'm about to turn 26 um, on August 1st. Like I still got a lot of time ahead of me, and like I, I recognize how fortunate I am that I've had the opportunities that I've had now. Uh, up until this point, you know, and I actually talked with Jim about this. Like, so, you know, I, I can't believe that we're, you know, on the same game together. Like, it's hard to believe. And he goes, I feel really lucky. And he goes, Josh, like, you're not lucky. You're fortunate. Like, lucky is going to a gas station and getting a scratch-off card and winning a scratch-off ticket. Fortunate is, you know, being in a spot because you're deserving of it. And, like, while I obviously think that, I still know that there's so much more I need to improve on. And so if I keep that mindset and I keep sending my stuff out and I keep just trying to absorb all the feedback I can, I know that when I go on to the next broadcast, the next broadcast after that, like hopefully it's better than the one before. And so I hope four years from now, I've been a little more TV. I've had a little more consistent off season stuff, but I hope that I'm more well-rounded of a broadcaster in both radio and TV where I'm comfortable stepping in to do anything. Um, and I hope at the same time, I hope that I'm still a good teammate and people still want to work with me. Like that's at the baseline of it. Like we can do a solid broadcast, but like if I'm not enjoyable to work with, who's going to want to hire me after that? So I know that I need to be a good teammate. I need to be respectful of the opportunities that I'm given and not, you know, take advantage of it and just kind of listen more, talk less, obviously when we're not doing a broadcast. So I just, I just hope to learn more over the next four years and, you know, if, if you had told me at the in, in May of 2016 after I won the Nance Award that four years from then I'd be talking to you guys now, I would have probably called you crazy. And so I can't put a stamp or I can't put a prediction on like where I'll be in four years. I just hope that, number one, I'm better in four years than I am today. And I hope that I just keep being a sponge and learning as much as I can from guys like you and, you know, anybody else. Because there's so – like we have so many different experiences um, – and just everybody's path is different in getting to the point that they are in this industry. And what I've found is that most guys and women who are in this are so willing to give advice or give a critique because if you show the initiative that you want to learn, those people realize that and they're willing to work with you a little bit. And so I hope that, you know, I, I, 
not planning on stopping, but I hope that, you know, in four years from now, I've learned a lot more. I've built more relationships and, you know, people still enjoy working with me. I don't see why they wouldn't. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's really well said. And we just thank you again for the time you've given us today. You've been really supporting the show ever since we started it. So we thank you for that as well and look forward to staying in touch down the road. Best of luck to you. Uh, guys, thank you so much for having me on. I really do appreciate it. Uh, I enjoy both your work, and I hope that all three of us are uh, calling a game somewhere soon, really soon, hopefully. <laughs> thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. Thanks, Josh. All right. Thank you to Josh Appel for joining us this week on Broadcaster Hour. We will see you next Friday at noon Eastern. So long, everyone.